my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. Good afternoon, I'm Pastor David Butcher, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. It's great to be with you again. Uh, This week we are following a really critical and important theme. It is entitled Beyond the Grave, The Bible and the Passing of Death. Something that uh, we all have a a share in, if you like, sadly. But uh, today we're chatting on the particular topic, is the soul immortal? Is the soul immortal? And I really want to encourage you at this time to grab your mobile phone or grab some pen and paper and take down our SMS line number for our free giveaway book. The number that you'll need to enter into your phone to text us is 04888-80811. That is 04888-80811. And the giveaway code this week will be SA119. SA119. And the book, which we'll talk about shortly, is The First Lie by Barbara Wiener. SA119 on text line 04 uh, I'm uh, blessed this afternoon to uh, have as my co-host, and again we have swapped seats, but the very distinguished and experienced Gary, Pastor Gary, who is normally the drive time host and coordinator for our programs. He is leading us in our study this afternoon. Uh, Gary, you're the pastor of the Brighton Church. Uh, what's ministry looking like for you at the moment there? Yeah, look, we're really, uh, I'm, I'm really having, having a lovely time over there at the, at the present time. Uh, I, I'm feeling abundantly blessed, you know, everywhere I'm going, I'm just sort of seeing, you know, the Lord, uh, the Lord seems to be opening doors, uh, in a, in a really beautiful, uh, in a beautiful way. Uh, certainly at, at the present time over at, uh, over at Brighton Church, I'm actually about to start this, uh, this Sabbath, uh, another, a four sermon, uh, series and, uh, this week, uh, I, I'm going to be talking about the uh, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit on the individual's life, uh, particularly in the context of uh, uh, of the times in which we're living. Uh, you know, why is this issue of the Holy Spirit so important uh, in uh, this particular era? And I believe people are going to be uh, uh, well. I hope people are, are, are blessed by by the thoughts that come from the from the Word of God. So, Gary, that begins this coming Saturday at 11 a.m., is it? 11 a.m., yeah, yeah. And uh, if you're visiting Adelaide or you live in Adelaide, where would we find your church where you will be speaking? Yeah, it, 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 the address is actually Amelia Street, Hove. Now, uh, Hove and Brighton are actually neighbouring suburbs. Technically, our church is actually located in Hove. We call it the Brighton Church, but it's right on the border. Uh, so what we're uh, looking for is uh, Amelia Street. That's a lady's name, uh, Hove, and that's the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, we'll be certainly sharing at uh, 11, 11 a.m. And it would be fantastic to have uh, have people come and uh, share with us. Uh, what I want to be talking about this particular uh, Sabbath, actually, is the, uh, is the huge problem that all humanity is facing. Uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's so amazing that uh, um, uh, we 
try to resolve and come to solutions without understanding the problem that we're actually addressing. This week, I want to have a look at what that problem is and why it's so significant for the culture that we're living in today. And Gary, we want to encourage anyone that is in the Adelaide area to come and uh, meet you and, and to listen to the Word of God more importantly than meet you. But uh, I'd also want to encourage listeners right across this country that uh, if you have nothing to do Saturday morning, look up on the internet. And even if you have something to do, look up on the internet and uh, find your nearest Seventh-day Adventist church because you will truly be blessed as the Word of God is opened. It is as ever relevant as it ever has been in human history. Mm. And um, you'll be blessed as you open the Word and hear the words of life that uh, are given through a human voice. So... Yeah, we want to encourage you to be part of that. Gary, um, as we look at uh, trends on this show of current events and topical things and how they impact Christianity and, in fact, even the world, uh, today in our World Watch segment we have an article that um, has come off the Religion News Service and um, it is entitled Navy Needs More Chaplains. So this is an American uh, article, but uh, we'll talk about it. It'll have a lot of, I think, uh, relevance for us. And also, this is a really positive uh, story, isn't it? Some of it the is, things that is, we share in this segment are more negative from the sense of, uh, I guess, Christianity appears to be being sidelined, pushed back, yep, uh, etc. Yep, yep. This is a positive article. Yeah. So I'm going to read the article and then we'll discuss it. It says the Navy needs more chaplains. This is the American Navy. The American Navy, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All three sea services want and need more chaplains, but the recruiting defic- deficit, sorry, but the recruiting deficit is extreme. And it was uh, written by Gregory N. Todd. The United States Navy's third Nimitz-class supercarrier, the USS Carl Vinson, leaves port in San Diego, California. Uh, not since the end of the Cold War has the Department of the Navy wanted to increase the size of the chaplain corps. Those religious ministry and professionals dedicated to the well-being of sailors, marines, coast guards, men and their families, and yet that's where we are today. All three sea services want and need more chaplains. It's not that the Navy, Marine Corps and Coast Guard have prescribed religion. The federal government and the U.S. military, while deferential, are agnostic of faith and religion. This is as it should be. One's faith and one's soul are too important to allow the government to have a say. It's personal and it's sacred. Our leadership, though, recognises that when human beings attend to all aspects of their humanity, mind, body and spirit, they are happier, more resilient and more ready to face the challenges of military service. Sound like a concept cooked up by the chaplain corps or maybe a philosophy class? Not so. More than 30 years of peer-reviewed research from Columbia University, Duke and Harvard in mental health, epidemiology and spirituality demonstrate the value of the spiritual for human flourishing. For example, those engaged in spiritual practices, including religion, are 50 to 80% less likely to die by suicide. 60% less likely to suffer depression, 80% less likely to suffer addiction, and 70% less likely to participate in risky behaviours. Dr Lisa Miller of Columbia University has spent a career researching how spiritual practices impact depression and other disorders, most notably the rise in suicide among young adults. She states that there is no protective factor identified by the clinical sciences 
that in scope or scale compares to the protective benefits of religious and spiritual engagement against suicide. Mm. Our leader's desire for more chaplains in the Navy Marine Corps and Coast Guard is purely a matter of taking care of people. Chaplains have proven themselves as a resource of strength to the force and are outstanding partners with mental health professionals to get people the help that they need should they find themselves in a crisis. More chaplains simply means more care for our people. And um, it, the article goes on, Gary, but I guess um, I guess some really important questions out of this that uh, we could consider and we could ask ourselves, you know, we hear a lot of negative um, uh, media when it comes to religion. Do you think people realise the amazing benefits that um, spirituality and religion have? Yeah, uh, David, uh, this is the thing that that particular article, uh, when I first uh, first um, picked it up, when I first uh, looked at it, uh, I started to, uh, it, it rang a lot of bells because I'm so conscious that in the world in which we're living, uh, we actually hear an incredible amount of negativity about, you know, as though uh, religious organisations present nothing positive uh, into our world. You know, I mean, you hear the sex abuse cases that have occurred. Yep. You hear, you know, those types types of issues. But here in this article, what it's saying is that the research demonstrates that uh, those involved in religion are far less likely to be involved in risky behaviours, far less likely to be involved in uh, suicide issues. And experience depression. Experience and depression. You know, I mean, to me, these have to be positive benefits for the society in which we're living. And look, if people want a copy of that article, go to the Religion News Service and uh, the article is uh, uh, talks about uh, the, the chaplains, uh, the US Navy wanting uh, wanting more chaplains. Yet the research is actually in that uh, in that article. And David, to me, this is something that we really overlook a big time uh, when we're uh, considering the the bigger picture. Look, absolutely, Gary, and, and, you know, the article refers to three universities, it, it refers to studies that have occurred over um, uh, long-range periods, and, uh, you know, I've read stories of, of a Christian that went into chaplaincy many, many decades ago, saw mm. the death, saw the trauma, and came away thinking there could be no God, and now they're a staunch atheist. Yeah. But I know in, in Australia... Yeah. Alone, and this article is about America. Um, the Seventh Adventist Church has um, really only begun to engage in um, uh, chaplaincy. A chaplaincy with the armed forces for probably uh, three to five years max, and yeah. um, there's strict requirements that that um, people have to meet. But I do know that um, those ministers that have gone at Seventh Adventist ministers that have then gone on through uh, chaplaincy training programs and have been admitted um, have been a real blessing. And and you know people that are serving our countries uh, in other countries um, to protect other countries to protect ourselves. Uh, they need spiritual care. 
Do you think, David, it says anything about, you know, chaplains in other areas? Because I'm conscious that here in Australia, we certainly had a, a very significant debate concerning, uh, uh, you know, chaplains in, for example, high schools. And, uh, you know, certainly for some time there, I mean, the federal government was funding chaplains in high school. Another government came in and uh, they did away with uh, the chaplains and simply replaced them with, uh, you know, non-spiritually uh, focused yeah, individuals. Like well-being officers. Well-being officers and yet this research uh, certainly is saying that chaplains, the navy of all people, want to put spiritual officers on board their ships uh, in order to care for spiritual needs and David this strikes me as you know almost unusual I mean hey you know I mean they use the case of an aircraft carrier, why does an aircraft carrier uh, need a chaplain? I mean to, to me it, it, it doesn't, it's not logical and yet they're saying a happy healthy crew in every area actually serves better than a a crew that doesn't have this access. And what we find sometimes through through governments is a a, of of various levels is a seeking to remove a a spiritual focus or restrict it just to uh, religious religious instruction in schools. Yeah. Yeah. But but clearly, um, if, if this is proven true for those in the armed forces by three universities over many, many decades, mm. why would not that then transfer across to young people dealing with the struggles of, of, of growing into adulthood and, and with their careers ahead of them and the uncertainty of what's happening in the world, as well as uh, prisons? Prisons and aged care. I mean, you know, to me, I it frightens me that we actually have uh, people who are put into aged care and uh, certainly the assumption is so long as uh, there is adequate uh, food and shelter uh, and uh, and medical care that the person is cared for. And yet, according to these studies, what we're seeing is that a care for the entire individual means that you have to care for them physically, but you also have to care for them socially and spiritually. Uh, one without the other is actually incomplete because the human being is a, a is a complete entity, which we'll talk about, I guess, in our Bible study today. Gary, when I began ministry, when I started out in ministry, uh, the church I was at actually had an aged care facility attached, mm-hmm. and I would go into that facility uh, once a week. I would do visitation. I would run a devotional for them, and um, we would also run a Bible study class on a Saturday morning, and. It was amazing. I, w- I did some studies with a lady, and um, uh, she was of uh, a Christian science uh, background. Yep, yep. And she would begin to attend church, and we did studies, and she got baptized. Now, she was a very elderly lady, a former police officer, mm. and I know she was blessed with the hope and the encouragement yeah. that she found yeah. in the Word yeah. of God. Yeah. And yeah. so chaplaincy through schools, through prisons, through every stage of life. Why should it just be those that are fighting on battlefields or, yeah. or you know, in armed forces? It, it actually says something to me as well for our own personal ministries. Uh, you know, if we've got, you know, those who may be senior, you know, others in our family, you know, when they are facing, facing challenges and problems, often some of the most unidentified um, uh, challenges that they are facing are actually spiritual ones. They are, and, and even the whole concept of life endpoint. Yeah, you know, yeah. how do I handle that? Yeah, and I think the Bible gives us the answers to those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gary, we need to uh, go to a break, but before we do, I want you to grab your phones and your pens again, if you if you don't have your phone handy. Um, our giveaway book, which we'll talk more after this uh, music, you can text us on our line zero four 
triple eight eight oh eight eleven. Zero four triple eight eight oh eight eleven. The code is SA one one nine. And the book is The First Lie, which we'll talk about after this song. We're going to some music. It's Randy Travis and Shout to the Lord.
Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with David Butcher. My co-host today is Pastor Gary. He is a regular Tuesday and Wednesday uh, host, uh, but uh, today he's co-hosting. He's doing our study for us this afternoon. This week we are following the theme Beyond the Grave, the Bible and the passing of death. And today's question that we're going to study is the question, is the soul immortal? And uh, before we do that, though, I want to um, encourage you to uh, text us for the free giveaway book. The book is uh, entitled The First Lie. I'll talk about that shortly. But the number that you need to send us an SMS on is 04-888-808-11. And the code that you need is SA119. The book The First Lie is uh, authored by Barbara Weimer. It was a book that was precipitated by um, her journey of losing her own uh, daughter in a college dorm fire, of all things. And as a result of that, she deeply studied the scriptures and she found in them a comforting hope of seeing her daughter again in the clouds of glory. And in this book, she shares some amazing uh, biblical truths that uh, often we may have overlooked. The first lie is a Bible study that explores the subject of death from a biblical perspective with all the preconceived ideas stripped away, letting the Bible speak for itself. It traces the history of popular concepts all the way from the first lie that the devil told to Eve in the Garden of Eden to the ancient Greeks in the course of Jewish history throughout the Dark Ages and into the present day. It's a book that I believe is crucial and the topic is crucial for every believer to understand and uh, it is called The First Lie, 04888 and the code you need is SA119. So our topic today is Beyond the Grave and the question is, is the soul immortal? Gary, is yeah. the soul immortal? <laughs> David, I don't know why it is that uh, uh, I'm the one who uh, who gets all of these uh, uh, these questions that uh, that nobody else wants to uh, wants to particularly answer. I uh, um, you know I, I, I'm starting to get a feeling on, on this now. So, oh, uh, Gary, this is we can look at each other. You're the one that schedules the programming. You're trying to train me up to do what you do. Yes, yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed, I am. Uh, look, uh, David, you know this is actually one of the the really big questions. You know. I, One of the things that I'm really interested in is the transitions that are occurring within the religious world. I I actually love uh, watching it. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that uh, I'm just so conscious of is just a few decades back, uh, the religious world was uh, split uh, almost down the uh, down the middle uh, on this subject of uh, the soul. You know, you you certainly had uh, 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 one one particular view uh, that uh, that said, you know, I mean, when a person dies, that they you know, something's going to go floating off up into heaven. But then you've got others who said, uh, no, 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 that's not what the Scripture is saying. What they're actually saying uh, is that uh, what the Scripture says is that a person rests in the grave uh, until the time of the resurrection, and then they they, they are called called forth. Now, that was just a, a few decades back. Uh, since that time, there's been a, an incredible transition so that most churches, in fact, if you go to a 
Christian funeral today, uh, what you find is that the, the prevailing view is that uh, there is certainly this imaginary thing called called the soul, and somehow it has floated off, and everyone, you know, everyone at every funeral, I've never heard anybody uh, committed to anywhere other than heaven. It doesn't matter. Whether they're like, Christian or not. Whether they're Christian or not, whether they've accepted Christ or not, whether they've been a rotter all their life or not, uh, they're all uh, committed to... Uh, uh, to, to one place. But, you know, this question today uh, is certainly one that uh, the, the vast majority, certainly of uh, Christian religions, seem to have adopted a, a view of the soul that I would actually suggest is not all that biblical. You know, this issue of what is the soul, I think it's so important that we actually answer uh, that question. We un- come to an understanding of what the soul is. Because, you know, the answer in some way almost depends on on who you ask i mean just consider some of the uh, some of the world religions out there. Well, well, before we go to the world religions, you know, if you ask someone like um, Aristotle, he was of course a, a famous Greek thinker. He'll tell you that the soul is actually composed of two parts: the rational and the irrational. Well, if that's the case, I'd say some people have got a bigger soul than uh, than, than, than others. But anyway, uh, that was Aristotle. For the Hindus. The soul is the universal, eternal self. And they believe that the soul is eternal, but imprisoned inside an earthly body. The earthly body is, in fact, a prison for the uh, for this thing called the uh, called the soul. Uh, if you go to Taoism, uh, the soul is a form of energy. Uh, in Buddhism. They don't believe in a soul, but rather they describe the soul as energy being reborn each time a person enters the world. And, of course, that fits in a reincarnation a type, mm, uh, uh, a type of model. And uh, for, for many Christians, uh, the soul is seen as immortal. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's thought to leave the body upon death and it goes to heaven. Now, you know, I mean... If we were to sort of say, okay, which of these definitions is correct? Now, to, to me, it's a it's a significant question, and the reason that for me, David, this question is so—I mean, this to me is not just an academic question, because one of the things that I'm conscious of is that sometimes a belief will actually lay groundwork that other beliefs are able to spring from. And this is something that I'm actually going to, we're going to get to this later today because what I'm going to suggest to you is that what you believe about the subject of death is actually vitally important in a practical manner because it can lead to all other possible conclusions that are, that are manifestly wrong and in error and the reason that they're so well adopted and so easily adopted is because the foundation belief itself is actually problematical. Is faulty. So if the foundation's faulty, it leads to all problems. And Gary, just I'd like to suggest that death is not a transition from one form of life to the next. Death is a total interruption, a total cessation of life. But but. I guess it's the foundations, first of all, that need to be laid. It's this foundation. This is the thing we need to... I mean, for example, David, next week, uh, we're actually going to be looking at the subject of 
of hell. Now, this one is a really, really big one because what the research actually shows is that there's a, there's a number of reasons why people uh, who would otherwise become Christians uh, have chosen not to become Christians. And there's actually four or five major key beliefs. But one of the key ones is the belief in hell. You see, you know, how, uh, you know, the argument goes something like this. If in fact there is a, a loving God who's going to fry people for eternity, then why would I want to be part of that God? And even those who have been part have often left. So not only is it a negative uh, uh, entry point for people of choosing not to become Christian because of this misconstrued idea, but it has made others leave the church. So really, Gary, what you're saying, what a Christian believes about the makeup of their human nature will greatly determine what they believe about death and their ultimate destiny. And it will because it will it will form the makeup for the other beliefs. There's a thing David called our world view. How do I actually view my world? Do I view my world as a as a kind? What sort of God do I actually serve? Is God a person who is loving, kind, and compassionate, or is he a, a mean, nasty, vindictive God? Mm. Uh, and you know this. What I have about what I believe about death lays the foundation and next week we're going to talk about this subject of hell because it's actually so it's so important and a person after person has actually been I would suggest to you frightened away from Christianity uh, simply because of I believe uh, a belief uh, that does not come from the scriptures look absolutely and there's a reason behind that. Satan doesn't want human beings to have hope and to have comfort. He wants them to be living in fear and to be deceived. Exactly, exactly. Do you know, even if you go to some of the, you know, let me just share with you from some of the academic literature. And, uh, well, let me turn firstly to the Jewish um, encyclopedia. And this is what it talks about, this subject of soul. Now, remember, soul is foundational for so much other, uh, so many other beliefs uh, that people maintain today. Uh, the belief, says the, uh, uh, the Jewish encyclopedia, the belief that the soul continues in existence after the dissolution of the body is nowhere expressly taught in Holy Scripture. Uh, the belief in the immortality of the soul came to the Jews from contact with Greek thought and is chiefly through the philosophy Philosophies of Plato. Now, this is this is the Jewish encyclopedia. Jewish encyclopedia. This is the Jewish encyclopedia. This isn't me just making it up. Uh, you know, if you want to go to uh, to somewhere uh, like the uh, the International Standard Bible uh, Encyclopedia, uh, they um, uh, uh, they say this: uh, we are influenced always, more or less, by Greek Platonic idea that the body dies, yet the soul is immortal. Such an idea, however, is utterly contrary to the Israelite consciousness and is nowhere found in the Old Testament. Of course, that's their scriptures. And so this this wrong view, I guess, that was adopted by Christianity is, is what we would call dualism, 
where the human being consists of separate entities. Exactly, exactly. Now, that's a that's a technical term, and, you know, I, I think it's important that we understand what that technical term does actually mean. But, you know, uh, to me, as I look at this, I, I just turn around and say, hey, you know, here's the, you know, this is uh, uh, literature. It's uh, it's written for, you know, information of peop- for people who are interested in this subject. And, you know, if I go to the Evangelical uh, Dictionary of Theology, uh, it, it says this speculation about the soul in the pre-apostolic uh, in the uh, apostolic church was heavenly was heavily influenced by Greek philosophy. It's seen in Oregon's acceptance of Plato's doctrine of the pre-existence of the soul. You know, uh, encyclopedia after encyclopedia, literature after uh, academic literature is simply saying, "Hey, this understanding of the soul doesn't come." from the scriptures it actually comes from this uh, uh, this plutonic thought now David can I just very quickly just attract uh, just a little bit of uh, of that because I'm conscious that our uh, what is our, our time okay let me just um, uh, let me just share uh, some of this uh, uh, some of this with uh, uh, with you and um, uh, one of, one of the things I'm just so conscious of is you know this this belief in a, a soul, where did it really come from? Well, you can actually trace it right back uh, to the times of uh, of Babylon uh, and to Egypt. Now, David, have you ever been to Egypt? No, I haven't. You uh, haven't had that no, opportunity. I've been through some parts of uh, of Bible lands, but never Egypt. Yeah, look, to me, one of the real uh, privileges of, of certainly my ministry was to sort of certainly go to the to the Bible lands to a uh, to a time when. Um, when what we had over there uh, was uh, digging in, attempting to dig into what the uh, what the word of God uh, was was actually saying, and what the Egyptians were actually saying, and of course the pyramids in in Egypt, uh, they uh, were built uh, to prepare the Pharaoh for his future life. Uh, you see, there was going to be a soul that was going to continue. After the Pharaoh physically died, something was going to continue. Uh, the Egyptians, they passed it on uh, to, to certainly the Greek philosophers. Uh, the Greek philosophers uh, passed it on uh, certainly to some of the uh, early uh, church fathers. Uh, do you know, uh, David, as I, as I think about this, I, I turn around and say, hey, uh, this, this has been a subtle and yet uh, it's been all pervasive impact into the uh, into the Christian church uh, and yet it's so important that we do actually ask this uh, this question what is the soul in scripture you know it's that the bible repetitiously has to be the, our source of authority now david can i just sort of and we'll just start, start with with this passage here if we can come to uh, to genesis chapter 2 because i want to just look at this question and answer this this is issue what is the soul now uh, of course uh, to me uh, if there is a soul it's got to have come 
from somewhere. And uh, uh, what we find in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse uh, verse 7, uh, I believe answers this question brilliantly well. Uh, if I'm, Let me read it firstly from the uh, King James Version, and then I'm going to read it to you from the New King James Version. I actually prefer working from the New King James Version. That's the one that I, I normally read. And uh, uh, Genesis 2, 7 says, says this, and I'm reading now from the uh, King James Version. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now that's that's from the King James Version. You see, a word is used there, a living soul. You see, uh, the word soul is actually an old English word. It's something that uh, we, we actually don't use it today, but uh, certainly uh, hundreds of years ago, if a ship went down, uh, I might, uh, might say uh, on board the ship there were 200... Souls. 200 souls. The ship went down and 200 souls were lost. What we're dealing with here with this word soul is actually an old English word. And the King, the, the King James Version picks that up. The Lord God formed man. Now notice how he does this. He forms man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And some people say to me, ha, uh, pastor, that's the, you know, that's, there, that's it, the there it is there. There it is there. Well, actually, no, breath of life is, uh, I suggest is actually better translated. This is a, um, the life force. So what we've got here is a God for man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils a life force and man becomes a living soul. He becomes a living soul. He doesn't receive a living soul. So now, he is a soul. You don't have a soul. You, he is a soul. You don't have a soul. Now, if you actually look at the same verse in the New King James Version, they've actually changed that word soul. And this is what it says in the New King James Version. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. A living being. So it's simply, soul simply means the entire person. The entire person. He, he, he becomes, a, a man becomes a living being or a living soul when a physical body which God has created has imposed on it the uh, the life force. You, you recall when uh, when when Jesus was on earth, you actually had a number of occasions where Jesus raised people from the dead. Yes. Uh, what's he done? He simply used the word of his mouth uh, to simply say, Lazarus, Come, come forth. forth, come forth. And what you get there is you get the person comes forth. There's nothing has returned to them. There's nothing that's re- It's simply God has given by the command of Christ, the person is able to walk anew. And, and to me, as I look at this and repetitiously in, stri- in Scripture, this is something that I believe that many have missed out on. I mean, we're going to look, you know, very soon, probably after the break, you know, the, the question, you know, can the soul actually die? Because if, in fact, God has created a soul, can a soul die? And what we're going to find from the Word of God is that just as God created the soul, so a soul can die. Which suggests that a soul is not immortal. Exactly, exactly. 
Gary, uh, thank you. Uh, let's go to a break. We're going to hear from Reggie Smith. I have fixed my mind on another time. I have fixed my mind on another time, on another time. And here I mean to stand until God gives me more light. And that is This is my fervent 
You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with uh, David Butcher. My co-host today is Pastor Gary. And we are looking at the topic, is the soul immortal? But before we do that, grab your pen, grab your paper, grab your phone, take down this number, put it into your phone or on paper, 04-888-80811, and uh, text us the code word SA. 119. That's SA119. The free giveaway book for you is called The First Lie by Barbara Wiener. It's an incredible book. Uh, she shares a journey of her own experience into this, uh, into this study of losing her daughter in a dormitory fire, a college dorm fire. But it, it basically unpacks, uh, through history and scripture what the Bible really does say about death. And, uh, we need to base everything on the scriptures. This topic is absolutely critical because it impacts so many other areas of of our Christian thinking and belief structure. So please text us in on 04 with the code word SA119 and the book is called The First Lie by Barbara Weimer. Uh, Gary, um, you were telling us that uh, when God made uh, Adam and Eve, when he made humanity, he made them as a complete being. King James, uh, he talks about the soul, made a living soul, the new King James, uh, a, a living person. And the soul is an expression that has often been used. Look at that poor soul sitting over there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just before I hand back to you, you know, I'm reflecting on the book of Genesis and the story of, of uh, Joseph. And when Pharaoh knew that uh, uh, Joseph had reconnected with his family, it says there that um, you know Pharaoh told Joseph to bring his whole family to Egypt, from Israel to Egypt. Genesis 46.27 says 70 souls from the house of Jacob moved to Egypt. Mm, mm. Now, we're talking about 70 human beings, but the word nephesh, the Hebrew word, means soul or living person. Living being. The entire being. In other words, when uh, a living being is no longer living, uh, the soul is dead. Because there is no separate entity. Because there is no separate. I mean, in fact, if you look at, you know, um, uh, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse uh, 4. Now, here, uh, God is speaking through Ezekiel and he, sa- he actually says this. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who, din- uh, who the soul who sins shall die. You know, and to me, it, it's abundantly clear here that the soul is simply a old English word 
that's being utilised, uh, certainly uh, within the uh, scriptures, it's been picked up, particularly in the King James Version, which is what I'm, I'm actually reading from, uh, from now. Uh, but the thing that even in that version, it's abundantly clear, the soul that, uh, that sins, it shall die. And verse 20 of the same chapter says basically exactly the same thing. So really, Gary, what we're saying here, what the, or not what we're saying, what the scriptures are saying to us, the soul who sins shall die, that is the living being, the human being that sins will die. This is really telling us then for uh, people that have understood that the soul is uh, immortal, can't be destroyed, uh, will live forever, this really shows us that this is not what the Bible teaches. Yeah, and, and look, David, this is repetitious in this uh, in the Scriptures. I mean, if I go to the end of Daniel, you know, the last chapter of Daniel to me is, is just so powerful. Uh, you actually get uh, get a promise. You know, Daniel, you're going to you're going to sleep, um, and at the end of time, however, Daniel chapter twelve and verse two says this: Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth. Where are they? They're sleeping in the dust of the earth, shall awake some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, do you know, I mean, this is just so, this is an Old Testament, uh, belief, just as much as it's a New Testament belief. You know, there's, there's been no change here. There has been no change whatsoever. And Gary, I think what makes this such a critical, uh, topic to understand and to follow what the Bible teaches is it has so many implications on other biblical beliefs and oh, practices. Oh, look, David, that, that to me I think is the relevance of this. You know, some people certainly, when I've sort of presented on this subject, uh, they say, well, you know, I mean, academically I take your point. But uh, the reality is, is that what we've actually got here is that this is a foundational belief from which a multitude of, uh, uh, of, other, of other plants actually grow. Now, David, I'm just... Let me just just test you. Um, I mean, what type of beliefs spring from this understanding that the soul has got some sort of a continual existence after death? Can't be killed, in other it can't words. Be killed. It goes on living after the body perishes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which the Bible doesn't teach. But what this false understanding leads to, it impacts these other areas, such as intercession of the saints. Well, the saints, uh, that's another topic altogether, yeah. but the saints are dead. The saints are dead. So why do you intercede for the dead? Exactly. Uh, also, praying for the dead. Indulgences, something that came in through the Christian church in the Middle Ages where you could buy your way out of a place called purgatory, which again yeah. is non-biblical. Uh, you then have this concept, if you believe that you have an immortal soul that cannot die or cannot be killed even though you do, this concept of the reattachment of the soul to the body at the resurrection. Mm. Now that's gymnast, that's spiritual gymnastics to get to that point. It is, it is, exactly. You then have this whole topic we'll look at next week that you've said eternal torment in hell because if everyone goes to heaven if because their soul goes to heaven when they die well if you're a bad person and the soul can't be killed it's got to go to a different place yeah yeah, uh, yeah. it also it also critically impacts and obs obscures the view of the second coming it diminishes the view of the second coming yeah. if a soul has gone up to paradise to praise the Lord. Why do you need a resurrection if, in fact, uh, the person is already in heaven? And if, in fact, with Platonic thought is that the body is evil, it's it's a prison house, as you said earlier on, for the spiritual element. Yeah. And, and lastly, Gary, 
if you believe that the soul is immortal, which the Bible does not teach, this thing that leaves your body at death and praises the Lord in paradise, you are vulnerable to spiritism and other cults because the Bible says the dead know nothing. The Bible has so much to say on this topic and we open ourselves up into evil angels or evil spirits and demons confusing us, which was the first lie in the beginning. And you start to get things like the the Ouija board yes. uh, kicking in. You, you know, David, this one is actually so important. The, this subject is just so important. We're actually spending three weeks on this entire subject. This week we're actually looking at what the Bible actually says on this whole subject, the foundation of what is death. Uh, but next week I want to spend the entire week dealing with this uh, this subject of hell and, and purgatory and eternal torment because that belief has actually frightened so many uh, good people away from the good God of heaven because they've simply said, hey, I don't want to be part of this. And then the following week, we're going to deal with this issue of spiritualism because, you know, if in fact uh, the uh, you've got something that can can way off into uh, into the future, there is a there is a future existence. Then perhaps I can contact them. Uh, and of course, if I can contact them, it means that maybe they can give me information that I need. But the Bible says the dead know nothing. So the contact is with evil spirits. Is with evil spirits. And this is a terribly important topic, Gary. Um, Romans 2.7, uh, the Apostle Paul. So you said this is not just an Old Testament teaching, it's a New Testament teaching. Paul talks about the rewards when Jesus comes, and it says he will render to each one according to their deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Why would you seek for immortality if, if fact, you already had it yeah. with a soul that couldn't be killed that left the body at death? It's so important. It's so important. That that question is key. It's New Testament belief. David, look, I, I know we're coming up very close to the finish, but yesterday I did actually uh, share a story, but I do want to share this to just to emphasize this uh, this again. Uh, yesterday uh, I shared, I, I was actually sharing I, on, with, with a lady on, on one particular occasion on this subject, and uh, her response to me was this, and she, she simply said, Pastor Gary, I hear what you're saying, I see what the scriptures are saying, but she said, I don't want to believe in this belief and uh, as we talked as we dug into that uh, that statement that she made uh, it turned out that she had had uh, her, her mother had passed away just 12 months earlier mm. uh, and she was struggling she wanted to think that her mother was currently sitting uh, in heaven looking down and could see her uh, and you know th- this was something that for her was incredibly confusing you know was it fair that her mother be simply resting in the grave at this time waiting for the resurrection you know she desperately wanted her mother to be in heaven you know as we talked uh, uh, I actually said to her I said hey uh, you know I want you to imagine that you're in uh, that your mother is in heaven I want you to imagine that you know that you encounter hard times maybe you encounter uh, a health issue maybe you maybe uh, you might uh, might be abused in in some way maybe one of the grandchildren uh, has some negative issues some negative things mm. that that impact impact all of us in this world how much like heaven would heaven really be if in fact your mother was see, could see it all and could do nothing about it. It wouldn't be paradise. It would not be paradise to me. 
it would not. How good is our God to be able to say, "We are. Uh, I'm going to allow you to rest. I'm going to." Rest, allow you to rest in peace. And, and some people say, hey, look, that's, you know, I mean, that means that they're going to, you know, how, how terrible is that? Uh, you know, I, I've actually said to, uh, said to others, you know, I mean, I still remember and I've, I certainly shared this, but, you know, the very first time I, I went under anesthetic, it was an amazing, amazing, amazing experience because, uh, to me, it wasn't a major operation, but I was under for, uh, some three quarters of an hour or, or, or something in, in that line. I well remember the doctor just simply saying to me, um, "Okay, we're going to we're going to sedate you now." Uh, and uh, I thought, "Okay, I mean, here it here it comes." And uh, all of a sudden, it blanked out. And then all of a sudden, I find myself in recovery. Time had ceased to exist, and for me, one thing gave to the other to the other place, but I knew nothing about it. That's death. Which is why the Bible refers to death as a sleep at least 50 times. Gary, in, in finishing here, I just want to say to our listeners that the New Testament focus is on the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. If, if souls are already in heaven, this diminishes the role of Jesus, the place of Jesus, and all the saints together going to heaven, mm. uh, to, to, to paradise together when Jesus returns. It, yeah. it, 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 it breaks this whole teaching. Yeah. 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 Gary, our time is up. Um, I wonder if you would offer a very brief prayer. Yeah, yeah. Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you now. Lord, I'm just really conscious that there may be some who are struggling on this particular issue. Uh, Lord, if that's the case, I just want to pray for that person. I pray that you might bless them, that you might be close to them. Uh, Lord, that uh, uh, if there's someone who's struggling with death right now, uh, I pray that you might give them incredible peace. Lord, I just ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining Pastor David and Pastor Gary on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow afternoon when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh join us as we ask, is the resurrection literal? We really look forward to you joining us then, but until then, please remember Christ's words, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. John fourteen twenty seven. may God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.